Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Chief Seattle once said, all things are connected. What befalls the earth befalls the sun of the earth. Man does not weave this web of life. He is merely a strand of it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. Both ancient spiritual traditions and modern science are bringing to life what this indigenous wisdom says about the web of life. In fact, We are understanding that the web of life is more like one whole living system. Restoring ecological balance begins with regarding not only the earth, but the entire universe as alive and conscious. Our life exists within a larger aliveness. One of our guests today writes, For too long have we separated self from world, culture from nature, mind from matter, and lived within the illusion of separation that made us behave like masters rather than stewards of life on earth. Our role now is to create conditions conducive to life. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce two guests today. The first is Dwayne Elgin. He's an internationally recognized author, speaker, educator, and citizen voice advocate. He, his book includes, I, I have to just pause because he has a brand new book and I don't have it on this bio yet because the book that we're looking at today is Our Moment of Choice and the bio that's in this book is missing his brand new book. So I'm excited to tell you about that. So, so his books include, you'll probably recognize some of these, The Living Universe, Promise Ahead, Voluntary Simplicity, and Awakening Earth. He also just released a book called, I love this title, Choosing Earth, Humanity's Great Transition to a Mature Planetary Civilization. We're going to have him on in a month or two to talk about that book too. Dwayne received the Japan's Goy Peace Award in Tokyo in 2006 in recognition for his contribution to a global vision, consciousness, and lifestyle that fosters a more sustainable and spiritual culture. And the quote from the intro was from Dr. Daniel Christian Wall. Daniel works internationally in the fertile intersection between education, transformative innovation, futures practice, activism, and cultural change. His background is in biology, zoology, and holistic science with a PhD in design for sustainability. He's a member of the International Futures Forum, a fellow of the Findhorn Foundation, and the Royal Society of the Arts. And Daniel is the author of Designing Regenerative Cultures. We've had him on the show before as well. And I am thrilled to bring both of you gentlemen together for this conversation today. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for that introduction. And it's a pleasure to be on the show again, and especially with Duane. 
Yes, I know you two really appreciate each other's work. So it's going to be fun. I'm inviting you. I have a plethora of questions for both of you, and and we'll we'll bring in this topic of our moment of choice, the series that we've been doing, and you both are a part of a circle together, your chapters, which is the circle two called Restoring Ecological Balance. And I I love the little subtitle of this circle. We regard the universe as alive and conscious. We are planetary stewards. And I was thrilled to invite both of you to represent this circle because your work is outstanding and it feels like this this chapter, this circle was just designed for both of you. So, you know, let's start with that that quote that I shared from Chief Seattle, because we've looked at life on this planet oftentimes from the indigenous perspective that it's this it's this web of life, and both of you bring a moat more deeper, rich meaning to that whole idea. And restoring ecological balance begins with regarding not only Earth, but our entire universe as alive and conscious. It sounds like both of you, your words, your work, your life is, is representative of this. So I would love to have each of you kind of introduce this idea in your own words, if you would. Dwayne, let's start with you. You've written a book precisely about this topic called the living universe. Help us deepen into this truth that this is not only indigenous wisdom, it's ancient spiritual traditions and now science is teaching us that this entire universe is alive and conscious. Dwayne, set the stage for us, would you? Thank you, Julie. Um, ah, take a deep breath here. Uh, the living universe. And we are a life that's a part of the larger aliveness of a living universe. And I've been researching this, looking at this for about a half century. And one of the key uh, findings, looking more broadly beyond my own experience, is that the public at large in the United States, about half of the American people have had the direct experience of engaging in a larger field of aliveness on a regular basis. Every week or so, people have these experiences of union, of communion, of connection with this deeper aliveness, and it's a felt uh, understanding. It's not intellectual as much as it is directly experiential, that our life is a part of a larger aliveness. Now, that intuition that's re-emerging in our culture has deep roots in indigenous wisdom going back tens of thousands of years. So this is our original understanding. We live as a part of, as an intimate part of a larger aliveness. And um, we're reclaiming that understanding. And it's such a foundational insight. Um, In a nutshell, if I may summarize how I see this, If the universe is dead, well, then it makes sense to exploit that which is dead on behalf of us that we perceive to be alive. 
And uh, current science says that most of the universe is essentially dead matter and empty space. And so it makes sense to be exploitive in how we approach uh, our relationship with the world. On the other hand, if the universe itself is a living system, if it is foundationally alive, then instead of exploit that which we think is dead, we're, we're invited to care for that which is alive. And if that which is alive is completely interconnected, then our caring is also completely interconnected and with, with the entire universe, with the earth, with the well-being of all life, as well as humans. Uh, and so that, in a nutshell, is how I uh, see the emergence of a re-emergence of aliveness in our culture at a very pivotal time in human history. And Dwayne, I want to pause there before I bring on Daniel, because I think that this idea, the language that we're using here, really... Um, brings this richness to the conversation. We're not just talking about a whole living system here, which we're going to talk about the universe as a whole living system. But when you really bring in this idea that we are life that exists within a larger aliveness, it brings in this sense of, of intimacy and um, relationship that's very different than just thinking of this as something out there that's alive it's like i don't know i think it's really brilliant how how you bring in that language right there and i just want to also say 50 years you just said you've been researching this for five decades and i just want to um just stop and acknowledge and honor you for that your your voice in this conversation on the planet right now is so important and you have done so much um brilliant work on this topic so thank you for that but but Dwayne just say one more piece for us about this intimacy before we go to Daniel and talk about this aliveness here because it's it's different of saying it's something out there the 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 world the earth is alive it's a it's like when we become one with this within this larger aliveness i think it's that within that that really brings us into that relationship Yes. Let's see. I'll share something uh, that few people uh, know about uh, in terms of my <laughs> explorations of aliveness. Uh, almost 50 years ago, I was a um, researcher at the Stanford Research Institute. Now it's called SRI International. And I was doing futures research. But on the side, I got involved in the very first parapsychology uh, research uh, that was done by the U.S. government. And publicly, this was known as remote viewing. And that's really the receptive side of, um, of aliveness, that we, in our intuition, can instantly, immediately tune into, know about the well-being or the condition of people in places far beyond us. Now that sounds like fantasy. It sounds like um, an impossibility, but over a period of three years, um, 
I was working roughly, oh, two or three hours a day, three days a week in the parapsychology labs. And I not only explored the receptive side, the remote viewing, but also then the expressive side, reaching out with consciousness to try to touch uh, the world beyond the physical body. And again and again and again, what I found was, whether it's receptive, receiving, expressive, extending, we do interact with the world out there. And going to your theme of intimacy, this is a very intimate connection. It has nothing to do really with thought, with words. It is the direct experienced connection with with a larger aliveness of people and places in the world. And I, we could talk about that, but the point is, connecting with, with aliveness is not a fantasy. This is a tested reality, and it's been looked at again and again and again. And so now, science is beginning to bend towards the wisdom of indigenous traditions uh, and see, well, yeah, uh, there is a deeper aliveness here. The universe itself is a living system. And therefore, it makes sense that we, being conscious of that larger aliveness, can intimately connect with it. And it's that intimacy of connection that makes it powerful. Um, it's not at an arm's length. It's not at a remove. This is a part of our directly experienced reality moment to moment to moment. Mm. And thank you, Duane. I, I think that this is is so poignant. And and Daniel, I want to bring you in here as well because the whole idea that to restore ecological balance, if we can come into this relationship with this aliveness, it creates more of a roadmap for us. It it sets us into um, really the result of of um, your work designing regenerative cultures that we can step on that roadmap and really head toward a reconciliation when we begin to see the universe as alive. What can you add to this conversation right here? Um, I think that it's really useful to be mindful of how even certain words, like we've we've used words like um, wholeness or in inside and outside, um, they end up, or even systems, um, we we end up creating a way of thinking or, or like we're, we're we're still staying within a, a way of thinking that is quite focused on objects. And for me, one of the important aspects of this this understanding, this aliveness, understanding life as a planetary process and beyond that, a, a cosmic process, is um, also to understand the the close intimacy of the the very nature of consciousness and life. And that that this is not just about the the material objects out there or the different beings that form a sort of additive web of life where they're all kind of connected individuals, but to really understand that um, it is fundamentally a process of interbeing, as as Sidnat Han put it, and that this process actually has first the the dimension of consciousness. And then the in-mattering manifestation in embodied forms. And 
even like the Santiago theory of cognition, Maturana and um, Varela's work, uh, bring this really close together. This that that the very act of taking a position of being an alive participant, conscious participant in the in the larger whole as an expression of that whole, um, is a cognitive process. The the very definition of life is this perspective taking relationship building and what we need to learn as human beings now in this this um, healing humanity in order to heal the earth is to to re-indigenize to come home again to that reality that that our storytelling has has separated us um this this illusion of separation as as you call it in in your program intro um and it's for me vital to as we begin to have a conversation around where are we at now and what is coming at us over the uh, next few decades. And I, I just looked at Dwayne's new book and he's got some really wise, long range um, perspectives on how long this transition is actually going to take um, and, and the path, the possible paths before us. Um, and I think, in this conversation around aliveness, we need to also be really cognizant of the fact that not just what we do, but how we are and what we think and what we say will bring forth a different world in the future. We're in every moment creating through the future potential of the present moment, the path that life will take and, and being aware of, language is crucial in that because in with new language we bring forth new ways of perceiving our very essence as relational beings that we actually only come out of this dynamic whole in order to take perspective and and with the universe becoming conscious of itself, we're becoming aware of this process now, and um, we've we've got a couple of really rocky decades ahead um, ahead of us to see whether we can, as as Dwayne calls it, mature into um, a new kind of membership of life, where we understand that our role is as life to create conditions conducive to life, or um, maybe make the mistake of throwing throwing it all away just when we're becoming aware of it. Mm. Daniel, the whole idea of becoming aware of it, that we're life lifing and, and we're becoming aware of, of us as this important um, co-creator with life itself. And Dwayne, I just want to bring that, the idea that Daniel brought through with consciousness because you both write about consciousness and I think that it we would be remiss if we talk about this whole transition and and this um, awareness of this living uh, I, I just I love how you you talk about this larger aliveness if we're not talking about consciousness both of you bring that in Dwayne do you want to expand a bit on the role of consciousness and the role of of awareness of life lifing sure <laughs> very um subtle in many respects but in a more practical way 
<clears throat> when we look around, we see life forms, all different kinds of life forms. Uh, we can see a, a knowing capacity being exhibited uh, throughout life. But then the question is, does that life know that it's alive? And that's a higher level uh, of consciousness where life knows itself. Um, and that is a reflective consciousness where we can say, you know, I know that I am here and I, I see myself being present here. And it's the capacity for reflective consciousness that allows us to stand back from deep immersion in, in our stories, in our language, in our culture, to stand back and say, wait a minute, let me take a fresh look, just a, an unadorned, unvarnished look at life itself and let me have the direct experience of that knowing and out of the direct experience there will arise a wisdom of right action and so that's what we're acquiring now is we're going beyond just knowing to a knowing that we know a reflective uh, capacity and if you look at the mass media what is it doing is providing a reflective capacity for the public at large we can see what we what is happening in the world through the witness eyes of the mass media, for example. And you provide that, Julie. So um, the evolution of consciousness is a, a very practical, um, present process that's happening throughout the world. And if we just expand our languaging of it a bit, we see that we are waking up, we are growing up, we are acquiring the ability to know that we know, and in that, a new level of wisdom and capacity is being brought into the world. Mm. You know, this whole idea of of this aliveness is exciting, and, and I literally have highlighted several of both of your quotes from this, um, from each of your chapters. And um, one piece that I think is exciting is um, the phrase, Dwayne, you used it, which is fits right up Daniel's wheelhouse here. And Dwayne, you wrote about the regenerative now, that the universe is continuously arising anew and continuously emerging as a fresh creation at every moment that the universe is this undivided whole organism. So it is important that we be careful with the language like Daniel suggested, but can you speak more about this idea too? Because this helps us see the roadmap. I know both of you can jump into this, but Dwayne, let's start with you, this regenerative now that we're continually, it the universe is emerging in this fresh creation in every moment. It's not just that we're evolving over time, but we're continuing to be arising anew. Yes. Uh, th this is so extraordinary, it's virtually unbelievable, uh, and, but it is uh, science itself is providing the foundations for this insight, and as well as the experiential inquiries of sages and pioneers of consciousness throughout the uh, millennia. And the idea is, uh, David Bohm, the physicist, put it very succinctly, very directly. David Bohm, um, in speaking about the nature of the universe, said the universe is an undivided whole in flowing movement, an undivided whole in flowing movement. So it's undivided, it's one unified system. 
It's not a bunch of pieces. Uh, beneath the pieces that appear to be out there, there is a deeper wholeness. And that wholeness, in addition, is in flowing movement. And by that, what he meant is that it's arising as a continuous re regenerative creation at every moment. Now, um, that's an extraordinary assertion. But over the three years I spent in the laboratories there at the Stanford Research Institute, I had an opportunity to directly explore uh, that understanding uh, that the universe is continuously arising. And what I found was that if I'm willing to be present with that very intimate, precise process, well, then what I find is that I am already connected with everything else. And we're all arising, co-arising as a unified whole. And the way to relate to that unified whole is not by trying to manipulate it or dominate it because that creates separation. But rather, it's to dance with it. Uh, if we want reality to move, it's time to dance with reality. And if you think just for a moment, if you want someone to move and you walk over and you push on them, chances are they're going to push back. And instead of movement, you're going to have struggle. On the other hand, if you walk over to them and say, hey, let's dance. Put your arm gently around them and gently begin to move. He said, well, all right, I'll dance with you. And the universe is that way. The universe wants to dance with us. It doesn't want to be manipulated and dominated. It wants to be integrated, felt in a very intimate, present way. And with that, it will move with us. So that's the kind of transition. It's subtle and profound that we are talking about in moving into a regenerative universe. Mm. I love that idea of the dancing with that reality and that, that unified whole, that undivided whole. And Daniel, we just have a couple minutes before break, but I really do want to hear your voice in on this piece with the regenerative now too, because I know you can add even greater insight into this as well. So what, what can you share with us about this regenerative now? Well, I think Dwayne put it beautifully. Like I, I'm gl glad you brought up Bohm because um, the image that keeps coming into my mind at the moment as I'm, I'm listening to our conversation is this image of um, a vortex, um, like the the relationship between the as Bohm called it the implicate and the explicate order. That basically, when when we call about talk about being an observer I self that experiences and reflects on the universe. We're really just a manifestation, an eddy, a, a, a vortex. Like when you when you imagine this image of letting out the bathtub and you see that vortex, what is it? Is it air? Is it water? No, it's the relationship between the two of them that temporarily manifests in that constant flux. And and we're a bit like that. We're we're just these brief like we are life is flowing through us and we're brief manifestation of life in a in a perspective taking way and in that power of participation in what we do what we think what we say every moment we interfere and interact with everything else and we change everything so that there's a strange paradox of understanding how small and how powerful and large we are at the same time. There's there's both a humility 
and, a, and an audacity in understanding that we can't but change the world and therefore we have to be very humble in how we relate to this larger body that we actually are. All life lives in that polarity of being for oneself and being as part of a larger whole and the two aren't separate. The, the two are the water and the air in that vortex. Mm. That's a great place for us to take a break. When you when you talk about the humility and the audacity, it's a perplexing and awe-inspiring way to look at ourselves in relationship to all this. So we are going to take a, a quick break. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're going to take this quick break. When we return, we'll talk so much more with authors contributing authors in our moment of choice. Dwayne Elgin and Daniel Christian Wall. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable. But how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? 
Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious courageous and compassionate co-creator of this beautiful healthy world we depend on come work with me there's lots of ways you can do that and you can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org i am here today with two of the co-authors of our moment of choice and um wow what a fun circle we're talking about. We have several chapters in this circle, circle two, under restoring ecological balance. And I I just want to, again, state this tagline for this circle, which is we regard the universe as alive and conscious. We are planetary stewards. And just really embodying those words shifts our perspective on on the momentous challenges ahead of us. And wow, what a conversation this is. But Daniel and Dwayne, I want to bring in one of Daniel's quotes here and um, have you both muse a little deeper into this. There's several things that are here that I, I really appreciate. And Daniel, you began your chapter by inviting us into an evolutionary opportunity. And you wrote, our deep love and need to care for the entire family of life is the higher ground that can, that can unite us in all our magnificent diversity. To heal earth, we have to heal humanity. To heal humanity, we have to re-perceive and remember our intimate relationship with each other and all life as cohabitants of this planet. Now, I wanted to bring this piece in because... This is obviously an important statement, and when I pause to really present both parts of that, it's really critical that we look at not only our relationship with ourselves, but with all life. And that part can be challenging to to many, many people. So, Daniel, why don't you begin? And I don't know if... Um, I don't know which part is really easier for us to do is to really look at our fellow humans and go, yeah, I can do this. I can, I can create that intimacy with my fellow humans. Or if it's more difficult to say with all life, with all plants, with all animals. I mean, this is pretty daunting, big prescription if we, if we really look at your words with face value here. And I think it's worth us exploring. So, Daniel, say more about that. Thank you. Um, If we think back of the long history of our species, um, for most of our species, we've been bioregional inhabitants of place. 
um, wherever our indigenous ancestors anywhere on the world were, they were in intimate relationship to the patterns of the rivers, the mountains, the forests, the, the water flows, the seasons. And importantly, one thing that they pretty much all have in common is that if you'd ask them, does the land belong to you or do you belong to the land? They wouldn't really understand the question because they would say, obviously, we come from the land. We The land can't belong to us. We belong to the land. And we, we've got it the other way around. And I, I think this whole, can we just identify with other human beings or life as a planetary process comes already from our Western cultural mindset of being a little bit speciest of of um, thinking that humanity is somehow um, special and sep separate from from the rest. This this whole division between nature and culture that that also runs through our current dominant Western culture, and I think it's vital to recognize that there is an innate attraction. Um, what Eric Fromm and, and E.O. Wilson called biophilia, this, this innate attraction to all forms of life. Or David Abram beautifully put it in his, his wonderful book, Spell of the Centuries, that, that we as beings have been shaped in conviviality with all other, other living beings. The shape of our ears, the, the way we hear, the way we smell, the way we, what we pay attention to has, has been shaped by the hoot of the owl and the, the growl of the bear, or what, whatever was our bigger community of life within which we took our place. And for, for me, choosing earth, choosing this moment of choice of, of, it's also about choosing life, but choosing life as a community. Um, the, the, coming back to this understanding that if we want to serve our enlightened self-interest, we actually have to serve our community and we have to serve the planet. And the community here isn't just the human community; it is is all life. And and we've like again bringing in the scientific side of it. There's now an organization called the Planetary Health Alliance of 270 research institutions all around the world: Stanford, Harvard, um, Cambridge, you name it. All the big universities are somewhat involved. And these are medical scientists that say human health and population health is intimately related to ecosystems health and planetary health. And the only way we can um, be well in the in this community of life is to take care of, of this community. And, and this is ancient knowledge. This is nothing new. Um, but we have, when science really started kicking off and created all sorts of wonderful technologies, we were so blinded by the power that that kind of kiddie toy stuff gave us that we dismissed the wisdom of so-called primitive, we called them primitive cultures. We, we dismissed the wisdom of long traditions of people living in place as place, as expressions of life, understanding that we are just manifestations in this long evolutionary arch here to do our bit um, in that journey. Daniel, you wrote a piece that um, there's a sentence that you wrote. And I'm going to have Dwayne 
respond. So, Dwayne, this is this is for you because Daniel, you just mentioned choosing Earth and our moment of choice. So, our moment of choice is the book we're talking about. Choosing Earth is is Dwayne's new book. So, Dwayne, Daniel wrote this sentence that I really appreciate. He said, "We are all designers, co-creators, manifesting the future potential of the present moment." And I love this idea of the future potential of the present moment. You know, I often hear the adjacent possible. I think we we all can wrap our mind around the adjacent possible, which moves us closer to a future potential. But I would guess that most people, when they hear that, are not thinking in terms of our designing capacity of the future potential that comes right from this present moment. So, Dwayne, I am wondering what Daniel's statement means to you as a co-creator manifesting the future potential of the present moment. I think you just wrote a book about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, great question. Um, I I really appreciate Daniel's work on uh, designing ourselves into a regenerative universe. And um, the design process that he speaks about arises directly uh, out of wisdom, and the wisdom is our intimate, immediate connection in the moment with the deeper aliveness of a living universe. We can't really design ourselves into a living universe until we acknowledge, honor, and become aware of the aliveness within ourselves. So it's when life meets life, that's when the lights go on, that's when the uh, aha, we are an aliveness that's a part of a larger aliveness. And then there is inherent within that aha, the wisdom to begin recrafting the way in which we live on this earth. And we we see that we're not simply these biological beings with a very limited lifespan. We are instead biocosmic beings. We're both biological and we're a part of the larger cosmos and its aliveness. And as biocosmic beings, what we're we're the larger. Uh, agenda and adventure that we're on is learning to live in a living universe. So how do we redesign our relationship with the world where it's not just dead matter and empty space that we're intending to exploit, but rather it's it's a, a deep field of aliveness that we honor and respect and engage with, and, and we want to um, grow in that and discover how we're a body not simply of biology, we're a body of light and love and music and knowing and these invisible qualities uh, that we can recognize uh, in one another. And that's what we're growing into and and creating this, this delicious um, new possibility of humanity moving from its adolescence and into our early adulthood where that aliveness is widely recognized, accepted, and people uh, move into that. They dance with that. So uh, that's the kind of design that um, I see emerging from the wisdom of what uh, Daniel is speaking about. Oh, Daniel, I'm going to let you expand on this, but I'm going to put both of your words together because Daniel was talking about the humility and the audacity, and I'm going to put it together with Dwayne, your words, that we're at this point and 
our humanity of looking at that humility and that audacity of being biocosmic beings like how how exciting is that and so daniel do you want to ex- expand a little bit on manifesting the future potential of this present moment what does that really mean for you i think it's about how we show up every moment to be mindful of the little things um, in terms of how we relate to our community, how we relate to our places. And I'm reminded of uh, one of my mentors, Bill Reed, from the Regenesis Group, who are working deeply with regenerative practice. He once said to me, um, you can't save the planet, but you can save places. And places, of course, fractal. If you save your local community and your local place, your local ecosystem, you because it is part of that nested wholeness that is this planet and that is the cosmos, you're also having a healing influence on on the whole. But but the the intimate relationship with place is at the center of, of that. And um so for, for me, we constantly have the opportunity to repattern the future in the present by choosing to behave differently. Like these are little things that of, of focusing on um, the potential that each and every one carries in our unique essence of being just one expressions of this larger life process that will never come again in that way. It's the, we, we each carry one unique contribution to this journey. And um, the, reciprocity that can happen when we create communities that support individuals to connect with their essence and express it and then also enable through that the larger community to really express its essence of and its potential of being um of healing influence to the wider whole that's where i believe we 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 can repattern the future in the present and um i i think more and more people are becoming aware of that and there's a there's a coming back to place and coming back to bioregions um for me it's a process of coming home a process of re-inhabitation as gary snyder the wonderful um poet called it um and it's also a process of re-indigenizations, of of, uh, of realizing that we are all indigenous to Earth as as a living, um, evolving entity. And um, what, what what I would like to, I, because Julia earlier on you you offered us to the opportunity to ask each other questions, and and since Dwayne sh- shared his book with me um, just recently, and I only had a chance to look at it, one, one thing that really struck me is that in part three of his book, he talks about the pathways of the great transition. And he, and he kind of puts a timeline, which I find fascinating because um, it kind of looks at the decades from the 20s all the way to the 70s. Um, and I, I would love to hear him speak about that and and also about why he thinks it will take that quite long of an arch because I, I sense there's an... Is an uh, um, a quickening of this process right now, but I also see a lot of wisdom that maybe that's my my perspective of um, not having studied this for fifty years, but only twenty years, and things <laughs> always take longer. So, so yeah, I, I'd love to hear Dwayne speak to that uh, briefly, if that's okay. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I turn to a quote from you, Daniel. 
from your um, chapter that you wrote for this book, Our Moment of Choice. And uh, you're speaking about um, the deep transition in how we live on this earth. And you say, quote, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly only when its old identity dies. Now, um, how long will it take uh, humanity's old identity to die? Uh, the identity we've cultivated over centuries now, that we're essentially only biological meeting beings. Uh, we're in a, essentially a universe that's just dead matter and empty space. And if it's dead, the intention then very clearly is to exploit the deadness for the few that are alive ourselves. That's a powerful, powerful uh, identity that's been created. And so my question back is, well, how long does it take for the caterpillar to die so a butterfly can be born? How, how long does it take for uh, an adolescent humanity and that identity of deadness and exploitation to die so a new humanity uh, can be born? And my sense is, um, even though we could imagine it occurring uh, rapidly, within a decade, we could make this tr uh, transformation happen. But the reality is, we look at the lives of ourselves and other people, uh, the maturation process is very challenging, it's very difficult. Uh, we go through the fire of initiation when we're growing up. And that's exactly what's happening to humanity now. We are growing up, but we're going through the fire of initiation. And the initiation is into a larger universe. The hugeness of that universe, the hugeness of the evolutionary journey of learning to live in this larger aliveness. It isn't to exploit deadness, it's to live in aliveness. Well, that's an extraordinary transition. And so... Um, I envision this taking, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I would much rather have it uh, be a rapid transition. But I see us uh, going through a series of stages that are very, very demanding. And uh, right now, we're in the process of unraveling. The whole system that we've created over centuries is unraveling. And if it unravels sufficiently, and I think it will, uh, well, then there's going to be a great fall um, because it won't hold together and it will collapse, it will fall. And after it falls, it hits the ground. And in the grounding of reality, we see a world in transition. It's a world in sorrow. Uh, it's a world uh, where the old uh, structures are dying, but the new ones have yet to be born. And there's a powerful uh, quote I'd like to share is the notion that um, when hope dies, action begins. When we lose all hope that we can go back to the past, well, then we begin to act for a creative, regenerative future that Daniel so eloquently uh, speaks and writes about. So, uh, I see the process that we're going through as one of unraveling, then a great fall, then a time of great sorrow as we recognize the tragedy uh, of the world being lost. And out of that comes a new action. And the action is awakening, the conscious awakening to who we are, where we are, and where we're going. And it's a new story for humanity. And out of that, we can then begin to rebuild 
truly, confidently, deeply uh, a new and regenerative future. Daniel, I would love to hear your response to that. And I, as I, as I am very aware, as Dwayne and I are here in the United States, and and we can look at just even the the upcoming election, that one candidate would break down the system slower. One candidate would break down the system much more rapidly. So I'm really curious, Daniel, on your perspective of that timeline too for humanity as we're moving through this stage and and what what you heard from Dwayne. Well, briefly in in his book, um, there's this. So there's the 19 uh, the the 2020s recognizing the crisis and the great unraveling. The 2030s collapsing civilization and the great fall. The 2040s into the fire of initiation and the great sorrow. The 2050s, the conscious species civilization and the great awakening. The 2060s, preserving the future and choosing Earth. And the 2070s, the, um, the centuries beyond three pathways ahead, an open future. And my sense is that that's, it's, all of this is happening at once right now. I'm I'm in touch with people who've like definitely like there are many places around the world where collapse is clearly happening and has been happening for a long time. We've been in a collapse phase of civilization for for decades, but we haven't really noticed it. At the same time, some people and and Dwayne knows this better than I do. Fifty years ago, already recognized the crisis and and began to see an unraveling, um, and. And at the same time, people are already choosing Earth all over the globe and connecting to ancient ways of choose, choosing life, choosing the health of ecosystems. So for, 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 for me, I, I think, yes, to, on the planetary scale, to, it probably will take five decades, this transition. But um, my sense is that a lot of what's possible will, will be decided in the next three. Um, and the, the patterns we set, because, because all of these different decades are kind of, to my mind, happening simultaneously, there are pockets of the future already here in the presence that, that we need to nurture and um, focus on. Because if we focus too much on the problem of what's, dying, of course, we need to tend to the grief and the trauma that comes with that. But at the same time, people need that those hopeful visions of new patterns that that they can co-create. And that's why in in, in my work, I've, I've maybe focused too much on the bright side of things, um, not naming, despite of being deeply convinced that we're already in the middle of collapse, the that collapse dynamic so much, because um, what I sense is that that fear can stun people into inaction as well, um, mm. and and so uh, we need we need also inspiration of what happens when people reconnect to each other and reconnect to place and reconnect to their role of being custodians and and healers of community and planet. And, mm. yeah, yes, you both invite us to be planetary healers in this book, and I wish we had more time for Dwayne to respond again, but we don't. We are out of time. Dwayne and Daniel, thank you both for bringing your wisdom and this inspiration to all of us to, to really step up and learn how to live in this larger 
aliveness. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And we began with Daniel's words, and I want to leave you, listeners, with the words of Duane. We are discovering that instead of struggling for meaning and a miracle of survival in a dead universe, we are being invited to learn and grow forever in the deep ecology of a living universe. We are being called to gather the wisdom of the past so that we might transcend the wound of history and begin a process of reconciliation and healing to realize a remarkable future we can only attain together. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.